Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Precious Lord, We look forward to your promise. You said, Lord, if you depart, that you would send the Holy Spirit. He would bring all things to our remembrance. Here we are, Lord. You've departed. We want him to bring all things to our remembrance and to show us the things of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, if you follow along here, Genesis chapter 42, thanks, Genesis 42, verse 1, where we read, Now Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt. And now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? He said, Behold, I have heard there is corn in Egypt. Get you down there and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the the sons of Israel, that's an important phrase, the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was the governor of the land. He it was that sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brethren came, bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Very important in this passage here that we zero in and focus on the fact that the sons of Jacob got a name change here. Because they start off in verse 3 being called Joseph's ten brethren. And then what we see them called in verse 5 is the sons of Israel. Now, we've had a wonderful time in the, in the, in the gospel according to Moses. The gospel according to Moses. And we've seen how everything has changed for Jacob when his name was changed. Jacob's name was changed in Genesis 32 to Israel. When he became a prince having power with God. That means that Jacob gained a power in the sense of an ability, something he didn't have before, an ability with God. That's exactly what happens when any person really receives the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. He's given a power in the sense of an ability, an ability. That's what it says in John 1.12. John 1.12, which says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As many as received the Lord Jesus Christ, to them the Lord gave the power to become the sons of God. Power in the sense of an ability. He gave the ability to become the sons of God. Everyone would like to be one of the sons of God. Who wouldn't? But only those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ have been given that ability, that power to become the sons of God. Now we're gonna see what it means for, when, for a child of God to have this power with God. In this passage, 
Jacob's sons are as far from God as they've ever been. They've sold their brother Joseph into Egypt, into slavery. They've deceived and tricked their father into thinking that, oh, he was really killed by a wild beast, and there is a famine now that's threatening to destroy them through starvation. And yet Jacob has seen there's corn in Egypt, but Jacob has also seen something very strange going on with his sons, as we see in verse one, where it says Jacob saw that there was corn. When Jacob saw there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, "Why do you look one upon another?" In other words, instead of going down to Egypt for food, which was the obvious thing that they needed to do, Jacob's sons were just paralyzed with fear. They were so afraid, and they were just staring at each other. And Jacob. He just can't figure it out. Jacob is clueless. He has no idea that Egypt is somehow involved in the disappearance of his son Joseph. He doesn't know that at all. So finally, they're starving to death. So Jacob steps in verse two and he says, behold, I've heard there's corn in Egypt. Get you down thither. Get yourselves down there for to buy corn from thence that we may live and not die. Now, They go down there, and verse three is when they come. It's an amazing verse. It's an amazing verse when it says, Joseph's 10 brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. It's the 10 brothers of Egypt. Egypt. It's the 10 brothers of Joseph, and they're reassembled. That's why it's so amazing. They're reassembled again. This is an eerie reunion. It's like the Twilight Zone. Expect Rod Sterling to come out. (laughs) And and and, and they're all back together again like they were at that pit when they cast Joseph down in there. They're back again. And I wonder what they said to each other when they went down to Egypt. I mean, that has got to be the most silent trip that they ever had with no one saying a word to each other but everyone talking very loudly to each other by this stare And so without saying it, without saying it, like I say, this is pretty eerie, without saying it, they're looking at each other and they're saying with their eyes, you know, the last time we were all together was when we sold Joseph as a slave. That was 23 years ago. That sure was a long time ago. And it was a long time ago. 23 years ago was a long time ago for man, but not for God. It was 23 years, but that was not a long time for God. And God waited just about that time, right around 20 years, for Jacob, from the time when Jacob vowed to make the Lord his God, as we saw at Bethel there. And then it was about 20 years later when Jacob hadn't, and then God cornered Jacob in Peniel. And that was that all-night struggle in which God crippled Jacob's hip. And then Jacob finally, at that point, came through on his vow from 20 years earlier. He made the Lord his God, and then God crowned him with a new title. You are a prince with God, and with a new power, you have power with God. God's patient. He's patient, and he'll wait. He'll wait a long time for a person to repent on their own before he moves in. But one thing that everyone should be assured of is Numbers 32.23. Numbers 32.23 says, but if you will not do so, behold, you've sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Galatians 6.7 says almost the same thing when it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So 23 years later, here we are. God is making to come around what went around 
Yeah, and God has taken His hand here, and He's just like His, just like He's just turned the clock back, twenty three years. He's reassembled this group, and they're all back in their original position, and they're going to be in front of Joseph just like they were twenty three years ago. They're going to face their crime. They're going to finally repent. They're going to confess their sins. They're going to ask for forgiveness. This is the beginning. Repentance is always. It always means turning the clock back, turning the clock back, to make an about face, to come back and to face and to stop consciously forgetting about that sin and face that sin and deal with it. No longer cover it. No longer man should cover it. The only effective covering is when God covers the sin, which happens after confession and repentance. But man covers the sin, and it's the way of not prospering, as it says in Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, the reasons why Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, covered their sin is the same reason why we all cover our sin, which is given to us in Proverbs 16, 2. Proverbs 16, 2 says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirit. What does that mean? Man justifies what he does, justifies the sin. That means that when we are tempted, when we're tempted to sin, and we ask ourselves a question, let me see now, is this right or is this wrong? We're not in a position to answer that question. We can't answer that question because we have within us disease with a strange power, and that power blinds us. It blinds us as it did to the brothers. And so God is bringing Joseph's brothers back to face their sin, which is why they are called in verse three, Joseph's 10 brethren. It's the reassembly. It's the title of the reassembly. They're Joseph's 10 brothers. Now, one of the brothers didn't go down to Egypt with the others, and we see why, because it says in verse 10 that Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sat not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. So we see here, Jacob, he's holding Benjamin back. And he's actually called, you see that in verse four, Joseph's brother. He's Joseph's brother. That's revealing. Not only the fact that he's the full brother, the only full brother of of Joseph having the same mother, Rachel, and father, of course, Jacob, and all the others were Joseph's half-brothers. But by giving Benjamin this special title in verse four of Joseph's brother, it was meaning something more. That title shows us that Benjamin has now taken the place of Jacob's affections. And so we can see in that title that Jacob is now clinging. He's holding on to Benjamin. He's holding back. He's clinging. Jacob is clinging to Benjamin like Jacob was clinging to that coat of many colors that he made for Jacob. That coat of many colors that he's clinging to is now ripped That coat of many colors that he's clinging to is now stained with blood. That's quite a scene, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing scene to see Jacob's sons look at their father, Jacob, clinging to the last remembrance he has of Joseph, a torn up coat stained with blood. And all the while, they know Jacob believes that's the blood of my son, Joseph. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And they know it. They know the truth. They tore that coat. They know the truth that was not Joseph's blood 
from a wild animal attack. That was the blood of a goat that they killed and they dipped in that, in that coat in it. And they watched their father clinging to that. All the while, Jacob is clinging to Benjamin and clinging to this coat. And Jacob is, is saying, I'm not gonna allow Benjamin to go down with his sons. Now, Jacob is suspicious of his sons. He's got good reason to be suspicious of his sons. His sons have provided him with a lot of reasons to be suspicious. Remember, because Jacob, he has a good memory. And he remembers how Levi and Simeon murdered all the men of Shechem. He remembers that. And he calls, and later on in his deathbed, as we saw, he'll say, Levi and Simeon, you are instruments of cruelty. I can't get near your cruelty. He also, Jacob also remembers how all his sons, all his sons, not just Levi and Simeon, all his sons raced in and stole all the goods and the women, children from the Shechem. And he also remembers how there was just something fishy about this, what happened with Joseph. I mean, he remembers how his sons sent a servant, sent a servant with Joseph's torn up bloody coat. And he always won and asked, you know, we found this, do you know whose it is? And he always wondered, they knew it was Joseph's coat, why didn't they come? Why didn't they come and, say, and tell him? Why did they send the servants? He's suspicious about that. And then he's been watching them, as we've seen here, and he's seen they have this strange stare at each other. Why are they strangely staring at each other when we're starving to death and there's food down in Egypt? So he's suspicious. And in his suspicion, he's clinging to Benjamin. He's keeping him back. And notice it says in verse four, this word, and Israel said unto, in verse four, this word sent. Jacob sent not with his brethren, see? And that's the same word, sent, that we saw over and over in Genesis chapter 37, verse 13. Genesis 37, 13 is when it said, Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said, here am I. He said, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron. He came to Shechem. See that word, sent, sent. It's over, used over and over again in verse 37, 14, 37, 14. I will send thee, 37, 15, 37, 15. So he sent him. Now in verse four, Jacob sent not his brethren. And he said, unless some trouble happens. And what he's saying there, what he's saying there, he said, I'm not gonna make that mistake twice. I'm not gonna make that same mistake a second time. I'm not gonna lose Benjamin like I lost Joseph. And so we can see Jacob, as he's going through this in his mind, and he's saying, he's going through the if-only condemnation, the if-only self-condemnation. If only I had not sent Joseph away to his brothers, I'd have him here today with me now. It's all my fault. I'm to blame because I sent Joseph away to his brothers. I'll never forgive myself. If only I had not done that. And this is a, that's the same, the, the same thing that, that the devil plays with us. If only I had decided not to drive on Highway 52 that day when that driver crossed over in the wrong way, crashed into the car with my family, and they, and, and they wouldn't have been hurt. If only I had not used Roundup to kill the, the weeds, I wouldn't have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma today, whatever. And all the other if-onlys, if-onlys 
that word send is very important for Jacob because Jacob saw himself as the cause of losing Joseph because he sent Joseph to his brothers and that caused the loss of Joseph with the, if only I had not sent self-condemnation. But it's interesting that although Joseph, Jacob is talking like this, Joseph doesn't talk like this. It's interesting that Joseph also spoke about the time when he was sent and he didn't see it as his father did with his father sending him, he saw it in Genesis 50, verse 20. In Genesis 50, verse 20, where he was speaking to his brothers, Joseph's gonna speak to his brothers, and he's gonna say, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it to good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. So when Joseph talks about being sent, he said God meant it for good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. And when Joseph said that word, meant, God meant it for good, he used a fabulous Hebrew word, chashab, chashab, which is the same word that has been translated cunning, and we've talked about it before in Exodus 26.1. In Exodus 26.1, when God was giving the instructions to Moses to make the tabernacle, he said, moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, blue, purple, and scarlet, cherubims of cunning chashab, work shalt thou make him. What's he talking about? He's talking about weaving. He's talking about using these threads, the blue thread, the scarlet thread, the purple thread, and to weave them to make the cherubims in there. So God told Moses, you make these curtains for the tabernacle. These tabernacles were gonna be a fine linen, and into the curtains you are to weave chashab, these, tabri- these, these cherubim, and you're to use the threads of the blue and the purple and the scarlet. And all this intricate weaving that God was doing there to make these, that, that God was telling Moses to do, to make these cherubims, these angels, using these colored threads, all that intricate weaving is called chashab, chashab. So when Joseph is telling his brothers that they were thinking evil against them, then Joseph said, yes, you were, but God was at work as a weaver, and God was weaving, he was chashabing, which is not a word. Anyway, <laughs> they're evil for good. What could be a more beautiful tapestry than a work that shows the saving of much people alive? And that's what God did with their evil, with their evil intentions against Joseph. God took those evil intentions like threads and he made this beautiful tapestry of saving much people alive. And so when Joseph uses the word chashab, or we, for what God does, Joseph is stating what it says in Psalm 76.10. Psalm 76.10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. So the wrath of man is what Joseph's brothers had against Joseph. And God took that wrath like a thread. And he says, okay, I can use that thread. And he begins to weave. He begins to weave of what will become the tapestry showing saving much people alive. That brings praise to God because God is a saving God. But there was another thread there and there was a thread that, well, now we're gonna kill Joseph, which is what they originally wanted to do. Kill Joseph says, no, I can't use that thread. So he restrains that. Says, I can't use that. Now, the greatest moment in Joseph's life, the, great, the highlight 
in his life will come in Genesis 47, 25. Genesis 47, 25 is when it can be all the Egyptians are gonna come together and they said, thou has saved our lives. Think about that. All of Egypt coming to Joseph and saying, thou has saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. But actually, Joseph's brother's wrath against Joseph extended at first to, to, to wanting to kill him. And that was, as I said, the way he restrained. But their desire to kill Joseph, that wasn't used for God, so he keeps it out. So this is the weaving of God. This is God seeing this. This is seeing God as the weaver, as the chashaber, as the one who is taking all of these things that are bad, they're evil, and making them to come for good. That's the way to break the cycle, this unending cycle of blaming yourself for a decision that ended up in a seeming tragedy. That's the end. It's to see God as the weaver, to see him there, and it stops all the if I had. The Hashab work of God, it reminds me of what happened at the Del Mar Fair this last week. For most at the Del Mar Fair, it's people that just walk by without any reverence, without any regard for God's son at the Child Evangelism booth there, the Bible Council, and I call out to them, how about coming in to hear what the Bible says? Or come on in, how about a free, you know, dad, can your son hear what the Bible says? And most people ignore, and they just don't answer because they figure I'm a lunatic. I'm calling out to them. And I was thinking as this was going on, and just the masses of people walking by, and I'm calling out, and I'm thinking about how God does that in Proverbs 124. Proverbs 124, God says, because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded Proverbs 124. God calls. God stretches out his hand, and no man regards. Some respond. Some say, maybe later. Some, some say, well, we got to go right now. And then there's the one that's just, just astounding. I told you where the people say, we're good. We're good. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> Matthew nineteen seventeen, the Lord Jesus said, there's none good but one, that's God. But then there came this teenager this last Thursday night, this teenager named Dominique, and he was kind of circling around the front of the Bible castle. He reminded me of the time when I've gone fishing, and I put the fishing over the boat, and I watched fish just kind of circle around the hook and the bait there. That's what he reminded me of. He was just circling around there, that baited hook. So, you know, I was saying, oh, come on, come on. You know, I says, I said, and I was finally able to get him to convince him to come in and sit right down. So that was great. I thought maybe he'd sit in the front chair, little yellow chairs. He was kind of older. No, no, he sat off to the side. Okay, that's all right. And then I put up the first picture representing heaven. And I asked him, what does that remind you of, Dominique? And he says, Argos, from Greek mythology. And I thought, oh, I got one of these. Okay. And so after two more pictures, what happened was another little girl, a little girl, about five years old, named Leanna, and she came into the booth with her parents and sat in the chair on the other side. So I thought, wow, this is an interesting scene here. We got Dominique on one side, one wall, and then Leanna and her parents sitting on the other wall, nobody in the middle. And so I said, okay, Dominique, you don't mind if I restart? So I restarted again. And then I came to the part where I asked them the question, have you ever lied? Dominique, have you ever lied? Leanne, have you ever lied? They both nod their head. Yes, they had lied. Okay. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saris. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.